You're listening to Submersible, an Autostorium production in association with the Questionable Guide to Life podcast. It was written by Bill Simons and Landon Wisnant, and is best enjoyed with headphones. Listener discretion is advised. It was Voltaire that said, Madness is to think of too many things in succession too fast, or of one thing too exclusively. So I wonder to myself if it could be considered madness for me to want to see real people again. Is it madness to think about fresh air? To think about the glow of my boy's eyes when I see him again? If I see him again. How old would he be now? Has it been days? Weeks? Years? Steel walls underwater make time but a concept. No day. No night. Just creaks and groans like death throes of titans of the deep. It may be madness to keep a journal this far beneath the sea. Yet, here we are. Ten thousand leagues under a bottle of gin. I'm an explorer. I was an explorer. And I am not completely alone. At least... Not alone in the way of a psychopathic delusion, but we'll get there. It started as an experimental expedition. Jonathan Tull, a friend of mine and a brilliant mind I'd explored the world with, and discovered a book titled The Divine Fate. It spoke in great detail to him, and to him alone, of a place give or take 200 miles north of Svalbard, where the water knew only depth and apparently contains secrets beyond human comprehension. Tull is the mind behind the navigation. He could give more specific coordinates than I can. And as cryptic as that was, Tull chased. It's still a mystery to me how it only took him six months to find it. Perhaps the book was more forthcoming than he let on. I ended up making a fool of myself in that on the very day he finally discovered this deep-sea pit to hell, I had finally let it all out about the search being a waste of time and resources. And the thing is, I still can't say I was wrong. It's day... I... I don't know what day it is. But I think it's time I started explaining what's happening. And... At the center of everything... Is Jonathan Tull. Tull was always thinking steps ahead of his next. That was something I'd always admired about him. But it also made me weary of my own dwindling usefulness. He designed, at great personal expense, a submersible that could carry a crew of four to depths miles below the ocean. It was a true marvel, but one he could afford. It contained four rooms, two were living quarters and the third was a common room of sorts. The remaining room was for control, so it may descend further when the ship's winch released it. When he invited me aboard as one of the four in the expedition, I initially recoiled. Maybe it was confusion regarding how he could so willfully jump into something so dangerous in such a short period of time. But maybe it was also self-doubt. I always ask myself why me when I'm offered something. I think it has a lot to do with my upbringing. We weren't the fortunate sort in my house. Wealthy enough to survive, poor enough to dream about better food. So when anything extra was offered, we were always cautious of the desire and intent behind it. There's no such thing as free food, as my father always said. At a very early age, I started to feel this urge to be remembered, despite being so insignificant at birth. 
They sought to discover something that would change everything. And with that said, Tull and I had very different families. The only thing he ever wanted for was knowledge of the unknowable, and that thirst would never be sated. These things are what brought us together. In his life, he had no interest in his parents' businesses and sought out inventions to help him answer his questions. In truth, though, Jonathan Tall was one of the richest men in the world. His family was old railroad money from the Netherlands, and they sent him to an American boarding school at a young age. The same boarding school where I used to shine shoes. He changed his name to Tull, though I never asked why. I have my suspicions. Coming from dirt, my experience is that family tends to stick together. I guess it's the opposite for people who are flush. But money wasn't his concern. It was all inherited. It's not to say he didn't care, though. His favorite question was, but what if there's something out there that can fix that? With this general goal in common, we were fast friends. As looked down upon as it was for a man of his high birth to feed a stray, which is how our friendship was described by one of his classmates. When we were 20, he invited me to work with his expeditionary company, Magnified Exploration. I jumped at that opportunity, and I've been all over the world since then. But this, this from a distance, felt like it was going to be the big one. Even without the discovery of anything remarkable, we would be diving to depths no man had ever gone before. So to want to share that discovery with someone of such a low social class as me was, well, surprising to say the least. I don't regret hitching my wagon to his, but I wish I'd done my damnedest to talk him out of this particular expedition. Now to the present. There are, or at least, there were, two men with us. An Icelander named Jaf Gunnarsson and a German named Hans Meyer. They were both sailors on the icebreaker we launched from. Luckily, they spoke English. That was the only real requirement for the job. Tull and I had the technical side of the sub's operation covered. All we needed were two able-bodied sailors for more menial tasks, as well as to bear witness for the less believable events that Tull believed would occur. Mr. Meyer is trying to hold himself together, and Yoff is bleeding his last on the ground in front of me, currently shot thrice in the chest. None of us have firearms, and no one heard a shot. I say currently, because this is not his first cause of death. About three hours ago, his body appeared to be mauled by a bear. I shouldn't have to explain to you, dear reader, the absurdity of a bear attack in the ocean's depths. All I can tell you is what I saw. His upper torso was covered in cleaving gashes, and his face was nearly gone. I remember hearing as a kid that bears go for the head first when attacking humans, and this one must have. There was one eye showing through the mess, and that's all that was left. The rest of his face being little more than a pulpy red cavern. The only reason I could say for certain it was him, apart from the fact that the other three crew members were present and accounted for, was because I recognized the Nordic runes tattooed on his knuckles. For a moment, I could have sworn I heard the beast myself. Tull and Meyer were examining the wreckage that was once a handsome young man, when suddenly, it changed. I can't prove this, but I'm convinced that the body can only change forms when it's not being directly looked at by another. While his body was still destroyed by some aquatic bear that had silently infiltrated our machine, 
Jonathan briefly looked at me. Mr. Meyer had shielded his eyes from the grisly scene, and I blinked. Only for a fraction of a second. When I opened my eyes, the transformation of his body had already occurred. The three of us smelled it before we even saw it, and I hope you, whoever you are, are not familiar with the smell of putrefaction. If you are or are not, I will spare you the description. This new cause of death was much worse than a bear attack. He had drowned, and from the looks of it, he had been underwater for weeks at least. His white skin had turned to sickly blue and red, and the veins that ran under his skin were jutting out, and in this dim light appeared almost black. His eyes, once a vibrant blue, had lost their light and were bloated and misshapen. The right eye had ruptured from what looked like scavengers feeding, so the jaw hung limp and was barely attached. Out of his now rounded gut, there was also a sizable chunk missing, likely the source of the smell. The wound was about the length of my hand from top to bottom, not that I dared touch the body. This was not the result of feeding over time, like the eye and mouth area. Judging from the marks along the edges of the bite, whatever did this had long, razor-sharp teeth and mighty jaws. Similar, but smaller bites were present on his left arm and leg, all quick and sharp enough to cut through his clothing like warm butter. One more item I consider worth writing down. The right leg of his pants had been torn by a powerful force, and the bruising on his skin looked as though something had pulled him down from underneath something with opposable thumbs and sharp claws. Again, I'm no fool. I know that this could not have happened inside the submersible. And obviously, no one has left since we submerged. But that was the state of his body. Meyer panicked and quickly crawled away from the body. And after I examined from a distance... I told everyone to look away to test my hypothesis. When I looked back at him, he was no longer bloated. His color had returned, and the bite marks were gone, replaced by three fresh gunshot wounds. Meyer cautiously checked Yoff's head, where a new, dry-knit cap had appeared, the same one he'd worn when we last saw him. He ran his fingers through Yoff's thin, greasy, blonde hair and began to sob. Tell scoured the floor, looking for the bullets that had gone through. But they weren't there, and we all knew that. The only thing that remained from the fish and the bear attack was the blood, which is now covering the last corner of the floor. He must have died several bloody deaths through last night. The sound of stepping in a puddle has never been so grim before. I've been taking care not to get any on my clothing, but Meyer continues to wallow in it and weep pathetically. He needs to get a hold of himself. Crying isn't going to fix the situation, which is that we are not going to reach the surface. We've been ascending for days now, maybe weeks, months, it's too difficult to gauge time. The submersible's depth gauge claims we hit sea level days ago. When I look out the porthole, as I occasionally do to see if our uninvited guest is still there, the only light I see comes from the sub itself. I see specks in the water and some fish moving from the top of the view to the bottom. There are two things that I know with certainty. In some strange way, we're rising. And the other is that I feel like something else is speaking through Tull. He lacks his usual conviction, even when he seems to be trying. And that worries me. But what really concerns me is that I can't detect any sign of fear on him at all. Well, in Yav's defense, 
I've seen him look worse. Salem. What, would the great Jonathan Tull rather die by a bear attack or drowning? I would take silence over comments like that. Not much chance of that with the German losing his mind over there. Mr. Meyer, snap out of it. I'm sure Yoff was a great man, but this isn't helping anyone. Yoff once told me, if he is dead, he'll be mourned by none. Well, Mr. Meyer, you ain't doing him any favors being down there covered in his blood, are you? Jonathan, has there been any change in our course? Same as the last time you asked. We're a few yards from the icebreaker, port side. Exactly where we launched from. As soon as we surface, they'll be able to pick us up. Do you really trust the accuracy of this dead reckoning? <sighs> More than I trust the depth gauge. <laughs> That's not saying much now, is it? Look at Boryov! <laughs> what does this mean, Deathly? You tell me, Air Meyer. You Germans are supposed to be smart, right? Maybe you've seen some other bears down here lately. There's no need for such animosity, my friend. No hysterics from you, Mr. Meyer. Let us try to maintain some modicum of order. After all, we are lucky enough to witness an unprecedented scientific event. There it is again. That disturbing calm. Even in the face of death right now, his only concern is what he'll see, what he'll discover. This isn't Tull. Tull, why are we still alive? We've been going up for how long now? Go ahead. Try to tell me to stay calm. Except this time, convince me. How long? Nine days, eight nights. Nine days, eight nights. Nine days and eight nights at five feet per second. We exhausted our food before we even started ascending, and I don't feel hungry at all. To either of you? Then suddenly, while we're all asleep, Yoff dies. Now he's dying again and again while we sit here in horror, and somehow, you hold all the composure that we have lost. I've read about this, gentlemen. This Fagafjord. Would you care to elaborate on this outburst, Mr. Meyer? Fagafjord. It is the place where the souls go. Not to heaven or hell. But in between. So purgatory. You think we're all in limbo. Is that it? That we died and now we're... <sighs> Alright then. How did we die? We don't even know how Puryov died. And there he is, covering the floor with more bloods than any ten men should have. I had to admit, Herr Meyer had me stumped on that one. In resignation, I peeled back a corner of the curtain that covered the porthole by the table where I've been writing. I've found myself doing this any time I need to really think. And I had a lot to consider right now. I didn't voice it, but it's of my own opinion that we may all have a different gauge of time down here. I say this accounting for the fact that I've gone to sleep 174 times compared to Tull's 8. But by now, this journal is well versed in the fact that time doesn't move the way it should. And so... Allow me to tell you about something much more alarming. Some of the fish that I've seen out there... They're hideous. Not uncommon for what Jonathan calls the Hadel Zone. But there is one I believe I've seen that fills me with a kind of dread so intense I can only lighten its burden by telling myself it's not real. Its figure is humanoid. The length, I would guess, is about two yards from head to webbed foot. And the thing, 
has a light dangling from its forehead like an angler fish. The light allows a look at its wide mouth out of which dozens of symmetrical needle-like teeth emerge. The light shines through its orbicular eyes and out all sides of its translucent skull. It has several fingers on the end of its arms with a webbing between them and claws that glint in the light of our machine. Never read Darwin's On the Origin of Species, but Jonathan has, and he explained much of it to me when we were on an expedition in Indonesia looking for a subspecies of apes thought to be extinct. I see the merit to his theory of evolution. Looking at the basic shape of this monster, two arms, legs, eyes, it occurs to me that the creature might be a deviation on the evolutionary path which links primates. Perhaps this was the original form, and we owe our lineage to creatures like it. I shudder at the thought. It moves by lifting and lowering its legs together with its arms by its sides, and it orbits our submersible every 80 seconds, give or take five, every time I've employed my stopwatch. I did not tell Jonathan or Meyer about it, and I didn't ask them to look out the window. Though, Jonathan's eyesight is better than mine with his spectacles, and he could describe it in much more detail than I could. But the last thing I want is confirmation that this monster is, in fact, real. I prefer to believe that I'm hallucinating or going mad than to be faced with the fact that these monstrosities pollute the ocean. In the back of my mind, I'm convinced this creature is responsible for Yoff's drowning. Though I know that that's an impossibility. What could you possibly be looking at out there, Flint? Just worry about keeping your eyes on that corpse, Mr. Meyer. I'm curious myself, Salem. Seeing you peering out that porthole and shutting the curtain like you've seen a ghost. Both of you, stay over there. I made sure to turn my gaze to the corpse and not blink while my two crewmates carelessly looked out the window. To my relief, Yoff was still shot, not decapitated or castrated, or both. I lifted my stopwatch so I could see the time without taking my eyes away from or Yoff. 78. 79, 80, 81. My god! What kind of monster is this? A tool? A flint? You know what that is? My god. Remarkable. I've never seen such a beast. Isn't it remarkable? Remarkable? It's an abomination, Etul. A devil! When did you first notice it, Salem? I first saw it yesterday, and it's been circling us ever since. Why didn't you tell us if yesterday? If you're done looking at the fish, I really need to blink. That devil proves it, gentlemen. Do you not see? They have left the living. My wife. My body. They will never find it. Mr. Meyer, that was no devil. Now pull it together and look at the corpse. I need to blink, and I don't want Yoff changing again. I'm looking at it, Salem. Ah, uh, thank you. Was that really so hard? You think I've forgotten my question, Salem? I... I don't know. I don't know. I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me at first, and then... I guess I didn't want you to panic. But I guess that didn't really pan out, considering you haven't worried at all since the start. Look at the German. He's panicking. I'm not panicking. Oh, but you most certainly are. This is your fault, Etuk. I beg your pardon, Mr. Meyer? He? Ah, damned. Damned! And it is all because of you. I heard you tell him 
This was a bad idea, Nifflin. You try. You weren't forced into this, Mr. Meyer. Magnified exploration paid you to be here. And paid you well. Not well enough. If I had known that- None of us could have known. Why'd you take his side? He has killed us. Because he pays me. Clearly there's a lot you don't know about Americans. Rather than lose our heads, let's take a moment and summarize what we know. Mr. Meyer, please keep your eyes on Yoff. Salem, you do the same. Right then. Outside of this machine, we have a visitor who, for the moment, has shown no malicious intent. I might add that the hull of this vessel is composed of iron, copper, and lead. It will not be penetrated by gunfire, let alone the claws of a fish no bigger than a man. John Philip Holland himself oversaw its construction, and I'm confident- Yes, yes, yes. And what about Yoff? What about Yoff? Why do you ask me to look at poor Yoff's body? Haven't you put it together yet, man? The body has only changed when none of us are looking at it. Perhaps... Perhaps this means he could come back. Yoff's gone for good, Mr. Meyer. That's the one thing I'm sure of. I know the two of you are friends, and I'm sorry. If I were to hazard a guess, he died of natural causes at some point in the night, and whatever force we have happened upon in this abyss is causing this phenomenon. What do you think, Salem? Sure, yeah. It all sounds fine to me. Real fine and dandy. You sure seem to be holding everything together pretty well for someone in this situation. I don't suppose that book mentioned any of this? What? You heard me. The book. The Divine Fate. By Alabaster Clementine. You should have left it right where you found it. Don't you bring the book into this. Oh, I'll do as I damn well please, Jonathan. If it were up to me, I'd jettison the damn thing. I know it led us here. What if it wanted you to take it here and leave it? Maybe this is where it's supposed to be. Never known you to be a supernaturalist, Salem. A bear attack miles below sea level will do that, Jonathan. The way I see it, either that book is leading us to our deaths for no reason, or it wants to go back to where it belongs. Once we've delivered it, we are no longer necessary. And if this really is the closest point to the center of the Earth, as you say, then why not here? I'll not part with that book, Salem. You know what I had to go through to get that? Belongs to me now. What book is this? No, you belong to it. And it will get us killed. Mr. Meyer, keep your eyes on that goddamn body. Yavo, but if I What's may- your fixation on the book, Salem? My fixation? What is my fixation? with a book that you keep telling me is leading us to some grand secret in the deep beyond. Is it Divine Fate? It's a book with no words? You read the book? There was nothing to read. It was all blank. You're an experienced sailor, Mr. Meyer. You know only the captain looks at the map. In any event, you saw it as blank, and it didn't want to show you. Show me what? Don't tell me now that you speak to gods and devils. If so, have them save us. Myra has a point. Either you're crazy, or we've been led astray by something beyond any of us. And you're much less than qualified to handle it by yourself, Captain. I think it's time we had a little more transparency. After all, I did read the book, too. Well... If there were anything to read. You tried to read it too? Have you no faith in your oldest friend, Salem? Faith is in short supply when you can't remember how long it's been since you've last seen light. In fact, it's a little hard to comprehend you actually being tall at all. We've seen wonders undiscovered by any other man. This is what causes you to cast out? This is not an adventure. My friend is dead. In more face, 
than we have ever experienced. You have no right to claim this is an expedition. For some reason, that's what it took to hit me. Meyer was the man the room had forgotten about. Yet, he was probably feeling more than we had considered. We really had seen wonders he couldn't comprehend. So for us, this was another adventure. Probably our last. But for him, this was hell. It was supposed to be good money. Money he and Yoff could live on for a considerable amount of time. Now it was just Meyer waiting for death alone with two strangers. None of us wanted to confirm his fears. But he was right. His body would never be found. And we would die famed adventurers. Everyone's expectation is that we would die against impossible odds. He was just an extra hand. To be honest, he wouldn't even make it into the book about us. Savindo! My god! Tull and I instinctively looked toward the porthole and saw it. The thing was much bigger up close. Its face was inches from the glass, and with a long blue tongue, the creature traced along its every corner. But its eyes remained fixed on us. It reminds me of once when Jonathan and I were traveling in the Gobi Desert. We were out of water and being stalked by a bearded vulture who was sure we would drop dead soon. He flew circles around us for a while and he slowly walked on the ground behind us. This felt eerily similar. The creature raised his webbed hand and placed it on the glass. Slowly, he began scratching down the pane of the porthole, pressing harder as it made its way down. And then, in repeated succession, it struck over and over, and over. It felt like my blood had run cold. Dull and Meyer were gone. I had only looked away for a second. I had made the mistake of letting everyone out of my sight. I turned to look at the bullet-riddled corpse lying on the floor, but instead, a cadaver raised on its knees met my gaze. Why didn't you help me? You're not Yuff. That's not his voice. happening. What sin had I committed that bound me to a hell like this? My head began to throb with a dizzying, beating feeling. I raised my hands to my face and was met with droplets of blood. It was coming from my eyes. The thing that pretended to be Yoff seized on the floor, writhing in agony. My vision began to turn red as the blood continued to drip from my eye sockets. I watched in confused horror as two thin lines traced their way across the skin on Yoff's back and began to cleave and separate. Tissue and sinew slowly split as he cried out to God for help that would not come. Sections of muscle began to peel from behind him rending flesh from bone. The sound of shredding carcass filled my ears. 
The twisted mounds of meat raised high to the ceiling as Yoff lifted his head, releasing a guttural shriek of terror. His chest started heaving, and somehow, he looked even more terrified at this. He was dry heaving and gagging on all fours. A bloody, popping sound emitted from within him, and Yoff vomited a mass onto the floor. It was pulsating, beating, alive. It was his heart. My vision faded out entirely for a moment. When everything came back, the heart was in my hand. I could feel it pumping, desperately clinging to this world as if it had a body to stay in. I started hyperventilating. My breathing became labored and the world faded away from me as I felt the cool steel floor smash against the back of my head. Salem. Salem! Tall and Meyer were standing over me, but I couldn't quite register anything but the image of Yoff stained into my mind. I was watching the body. My God! I leaned up as best I could, still returning to reality. If that's what this was. Between my two crewmates, I saw him. Poor Yoff. It had come true. He was hanging from the overhead. A length of black rope joined his wrists together over one of the pipes. He was naked, facing away from us. And his back had been torn open with surgical precision. His ribs had been severed from his spine and jutted out, and the skin had been stretched out to his sides with cords that wrapped around his raised arms like the wings of some horrible, demonic angel. I wanted to tell them to look away, make him change again. Anything would be better than this. But we couldn't turn our heads. And then it was too late. Water began flowing from the broken pipe, mixing with the blood on the floor to create a deluge of red that was rising fast. Tull stared, Meyer vomited, and I still laid there. Help. Help me up, Jonathan. I've got you. I can't. They have to get out of here. They have to go. This place is... This place is evil. It's a test. It's a test, you see. We aren't really here. That's it, isn't it? Meyer wasn't making any sense. But who could blame him? He'd finally been broken. Now it wasn't going to be so easy to snap him out of it. Help me with the hatch. He can be free from this horror. He ran for the ladder and started climbing. I barely had the energy to stay awake, let alone move. I could hear him struggling with the wheel on the hatch. If we really were at the bottom of the ocean, the pressure would be far too great for him to open it. But I didn't know what to believe anymore. And then, to my surprise, I started to hear the creak of the wheel turning. Jonathan, if he's able to open that hatch, we're dead. Stop him. He didn't say a word. He just walked to the ladder, then looked up. up and grabbed him and pulled him down forcefully. Meyer fell and hit his head on the corner of the table where we ate our meals. 
and he laid there for a second, his head propped up against the table. And then the water and the blood started to rise and slowly covered his face. And once it did, no bubbles came up. He hadn't noticed it yet, but the divine fate was floating just below Jonathan. Well, I think Mr. Meyer is no longer with us. And I think my notes here are finished. Murder, I know you, my friend. Now's the time when you try to convince me that it isn't my fault. You would have killed us all. You saved your life. Well, it's not going to work. No. I wouldn't try to tell you that. You murdered him the second you met him. Not just him. You murdered Yoff, too. And myself. All because of that book. I believe you. You want to say, I told you so, don't you? Go ahead. Say it again. You burned it. Well, go on. Let me have it. You told me that book was evil a long time ago, but I wouldn't listen. I was too damn proud. See that now. Come on, Salem. Say something. Please. There you go. I suppose we deserve each other. You find my body? I want them to find you in my possession. Welcome back, Mr. Toll. I hope it was a successful... Mr. Toll? Mr. Miller, give me a hand in here. Feeling better, Mr. Toll? Much better, Captain. If you need to sleep, your quarters below deck are prepared. I don't think I'll sleep for quite a while, Captain. Mr. Toll, I have questions. As do I, Captain. Who all has been in the sub? Since you resurfaced? Just Miller and myself when we fished you out. Water inside is being pumped out. Then a thorough examination of repairs necessary will be made. The outside took a heavy beating and we found what looked like claw marks on the bottom and sides. I've already given the order that no one goes in without me. What did you see while you were in there? Tell me in detail. I no longer trust my own eyes. All right, Mr. Toll. After we brought you out, I went back down. It was hellish. There's about four feet of water that looked a mite red. I found the body of Hans Meyer. He appeared to have died from a broken neck. I also found the bulk of a body who I believe to be Joff Gunnarsson. But his corpse is... well, heavily mutilated. It was like who else? he... I did not find Mr. Flynn. He's not on my ship, I know that. Pardon my saying so, sir, but it's as if he just disappeared. 
Do you know what happened to him? Under all that pressure, there's no way anybody could have opened the hatch. Captain Shaw, how would you like an extra $200 a week in salary? I would, sir. Good. This raise comes with a few responsibilities. First, you will keep anyone from going back into the sub. Second, Mr. Meyer mentioned he had a wife. I would like to know her name and address. She and any children will be taken care of. The same goes for Yoff Gunnarsson, if he had any family. I'll see to Salem Flint's son personally. I'll do that, Mr. Toll. Third, come nightfall, I want you to send the sub back down as close to the target site as you can. Sir, just from what I saw, the submersible is in dire need of repair. It'll be weeks or even months before it's... This will be called a one-way, unmanned expedition. The two men aboard will go down with it and be given a burial at sea. If you've a chaplain aboard, he can say a few words. No one else can be present. I see. There's going to be a lot of questions. You're the captain of this ship, and besides that, you're being paid extraordinarily well not to answer them. The submersible was a very expensive piece of machinery. It's not my business, but I would think even the salvage value... I'm a very wealthy man, Captain. I can stomach it. Just do your duties. Yes, sir. Lastly, take this. Drop it down the hatch. What's in here, sir? A book. Don't open it. Don't even touch it. Just drop it in, and then have the hatch welded shut. Understood. You think I'm crazy, don't you, Captain? I've worked for many explorers and found that they all are, to some degree, Mr. Toll. But perhaps you're a bit more superstitious than most. Try to get some rest. One last thing, Captain. Sir? How long were we down there? You submerged yesterday at dawn, sir. Yesterday? I see. I've heard it's easy to lose track of time in one of those machines, Mr. Toll. Won't catch me in there. Good day, Mr. Toll. Good day, Captain. Maybe Salem was right. Maybe that's why you brought us here. It's where you belong. You certainly don't belong in this world. May the depths hide you for eternity. And may God have mercy on whomever finds you. Just listen to Submersible, Auditorium's first production. Hans Meyer and Captain Shaw were voiced by Bill Simons. Jonathan Tull was voiced by Sean Sutton. It was written by Bill Simons and Landon Wisnant. An audio engineered by Landon Wisnant. And because I don't want to say my name 200 more times, a lot of the other hats were also worn by Landon Wisnant. Thank you so much for listening, and the amount of support we've received from people throughout this entire project has been amazing. 
I have a few people I'd like to thank from the audio drama community that have helped me so much without even knowing it, and they might be surprised to hear their names, but you've all been wonderful resources, and by finding their work you can learn just as much. And... And I hope I did all of you proud. This was very hard, and my bank account is on life support, and it's not perfect, but it was all super worth it. I never thought I could pull something like this off. Anyways, um, I want to give special thanks to the following people who you should be paying attention to. Talmanir, a phenomenal sound designer and overall motivator in me getting into audio engineering to begin with. Jared Carter, creator of Desert Skies, for always being a constant source of positivity. Wayman Alexander and the entire Liminal Lands Discord. You are all lovely. Newt Shottlecotty, especially for Mini Marconis, a podcast about starting in audio fiction. I'd also like to thank Pacific Obadiah, who was the first young audio fiction creator I ever ran across, and changed my perspective of what's possible for anyone. Jesse Hall, a voice talent that may not realize it, but gave me something to laugh at with our Twitter interactions while I was pulling my hair out working on this at 3 a.m., and of course, I couldn't have done this without Bill Simons and Sean Sutton, who on a whim let me pull them into this mess without warning. You guys are amazing. Thank you for listening. And we hope that you'll join us for more of Auditorium. <laughs>